Welcome to Management 101, your home for learning about management and leadership in business. Now, here is your host, Max Winokur. Hello, and welcome back to Management 101. I am your host, Max Winokur. I am joined by a very special guest today, Dane Zink. I'm going to have Dane introduce himself in a moment here. First, I just want to talk about what we're going to discuss today. We have talked on previous episodes about hiring talent. It is something I'm personally very passionate about. I think it's one of the things that differentiates companies from one another. Good hires can dramatically improve outcomes in your company, improve culture in your company, uh, and bad hires can do the exact opposite. I am a firm believer in spending a lot of time and resources to do hiring effectively. I'm also a firm believer, though I'm curious to hear Dane's perspective later on, in slow to hire, quick to fire. We'll definitely talk more about that. I brought Dane on today. Dane is an expert in hiring. He comes from a recruiting and hiring background, now runs a company helping other companies hire key people and is much more of an expert in all the nitty gritty of hiring than I am. Figured it would be a good conversation to talk about how can we hire even better talent than maybe I discussed in my first episode, which was on me alone. So without further ado, Dane, thanks so much for joining today. Great to have you here. Thanks, Max. Happy to be here. Dane, I would love to hear uh, a little bit about you. So first, what do you do and where are you based? We'll start there and then I've got some other questions for you. Great. Yeah. So I am based in San Diego, California. I have spent the last decade or so in in talent acquisition, specifically within startups and, and mostly early stage. And today I run Product Hiring House. So I'm the CEO and co-founder. We specialize in hiring niche product talent. So across product and design primarily for companies of any stage and across the US. Cool. I think this is really important to understand, particularly for founders, is I feel like many founders are not good at hiring talent. Just because you have a really good idea for a, a product or a company does not mean you're suddenly great at staffing it with the right people. And so this concept that you could bring on a company like Product Hiring House to basically be the experts in that and help you do that faster and more effectively is something I'm not sure every founder is familiar with, but it can be really impactful for an individual company. What would you say is a typical profile of a company that can benefit from bringing on an external recruiting function? I've seen this a lot, both internally running talent teams and externally from a consulting point of view. And Oftentimes, it's like you mentioned, early stage founders who have something really great that's meaningful and that they are excited to build. And then beyond that, there's a big gap of how do we get there and who do we need to bring in to help us accelerate that? So for us, a lot of the value is brought in for earlier stage companies, anywhere from a seed company that's 20 or so people up to a series A that's maybe a hundred people and looking to uh, really continue building or um, maybe they have an internal recruiter who is strained on time. They're tackling a ton of different projects. They're also staffing and maybe looking to grow to 200 from a hundred people in a year, those sort of scaling challenges. Even earlier than that, 
a big piece is we come in and take a really embedded approach. So serving as a company's internal hiring team and handling the end-to-end recruiting process, but also building talent infrastructure that's scalable that they're able to use once we are not working with them anymore. That to me is one of the keys of any good external uh, resource is not just, are you serving the function that promised today, but also are you setting up the company to operate without you in the future and to continue scaling? That's the hardest part. And I think that's something a lot of early stage teams struggle with. If we can implement great process and great recruiting best practices for early stage teams that are reusable and scalable beyond our time working together, you then have infrastructure that's set up for your team as a founder to bring in an internal recruiter and set them up for success too. And I think that's one of the more exciting things that we do that goes beyond just find us a person for sure. a head of product role. Yeah, really just help founders not have to focus on building some of the infrastructure for things that they're not necessarily good at. I have another question before we get into the really meaty stuff, which is, I know you're from San Diego, but what is your favorite city in the world and why is it Boston? It's <laughs> a good question. Favorite city in the world? I spent a few months in Cabo, San Jose specifically. Okay. San Jose do Cabo. It was really mellow, but I think it was extremely fun and an immersive experience. The culture was amazing. The food was amazing. Everything was accessible and walkable. I was working remotely for, for those few months and that was a ton of fun for me. There are other cities I'm excited about exploring that will be happening over the next couple of years. But San Jose del Cabo was great. I felt very at home and was able to get a nice tan and have have lots of tacos. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, I, I think San Jose del Cabo is an interesting city in that it's both obviously very beachy being in the spot that it's in, but also it's got mm-hmm. an interesting little kind of hipster art scene vibe to it, which makes it uh, pretty unique. So while that is a very West Coaster answer, it is an acceptable one. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) Let's get into hiring. Some of the challenges that companies have with hiring. I think this is one of the areas that companies just get wrong a lot of the time. In my fractional COO work, work with a lot of early stage startups whose hiring is run by the founder. That founder is often, Mm -hmm. at least from my experience, often spread across a number of different things is running a hiring process on their own and sometimes be very unresponsive to candidates, not in an intentional way, just in a, they have a lot of stuff to do way. And uh, they also maybe aren't as thorough as they could be with their hiring process, their interview process, don't necessarily have a lot of background in it. So this to me is an area that startups consistently have challenges in that it actually may not even be obvious that it's a challenge at first, but it is one that really comes back to bite them later on. So I'm curious, I just answered this question from my perspective, but what in in your experience, which is significantly greater in the area of hiring, what challenges do companies typically face when it comes to trying to bring on good talent? It's easy to ignore and put maybe hiring on the back burner until it comes to a point of we are in a critical time and we absolutely need these people. Hiring is really hard. We are often looking for 
how do we align the existing team, the existing challenges? How do we understand where a team wants to be six months from now, 12 months from now, 24 months from now? And then working our way backwards to what type of role does this look for? Are we hiring for a skill versus a need, a true need within the company? And the timing is critical. When does it make sense to partner with us? When does it make sense to bring in a first product hire or a first technical hire, a first marketing hire? It's something you, you touched on here with some of your approach is really a broader truth to hiring. I either wrote about this or spoke on this at some point and really truly believe it, which is bad hiring is done in a vacuum. And good hiring is done with lots of resources. When you are trying to hire someone, you personally just have a lot of bias. You have a certain set of experiences. You have a certain background. All these things create a lot of unconscious bias. For instance, maybe I would be really good at filtering for someone who has an analytical skill set, but really bad at filtering for someone who has the right approach with stakeholders. In order to do hiring effectively, I need to surround myself with people who all have slightly different sets of experiences and perspectives than I do in ways of thinking, because the right fit for a company is unlikely to be whoever Max thinks the right fit is, and much more likely to be some version of a consensus choice from a bunch of different people who understand what the company needs. So you talking about bringing in product advisors and experts to help hire good product people, really important, particularly for a founder or a company that's not super product oriented, you're bringing in product leaders. My first time as a fractional COO for a company, one of my projects was hiring a a chief marketing officer. I had never worked in a marketing department before. I'd never hired a marketing person before. I knew a a lot of best practices for hiring. And I still stumbled early on because I just realized, oh, wow, there's so much that I don't know. And I think it's easy for a founder to fall down that rabbit hole and to say, I'm smart. I'm going to figure out what I need. But in reality, the thing that helped me the most, and one of the reasons that companies like yours exist is you just need help from people who know what they're doing and who know what questions to ask both the founder as well as the candidate to get the right people in the door. Otherwise, the likelihood that you find that right person being a founder, hiring a role that you don't have any experience in is is pretty low and just lucky if it happens. Exactly. And To your point, it's understanding how the whole organization works and flows together. And then for product hiring house specifically, all of our hires are within the product umbrella. So we do a lot of product management hiring across every level from a senior PM up to a CPO. Each of those roles work very differently within a team. If they're an individual contributor as a growth PM, they might be focused on user sign-up flow, like onboarding flows, retention, and different growth across the platform. Whereas you have a CPO who's focused a lot on strategy. Those two processes work completely different. The stakeholders that that person should be interacting with look completely different. And how you assess those candidates look differently. So oftentimes we are working to help build understanding around what someone's really looking for, knowing how to assess for that specific role, And just knowing how to set up the process throughout. Just bringing in that expertise can only be positively impactful. Let's talk through sourcing talent. This is another area where I feel like it's easy as a manager or as a founder to have literally no idea where to start. If I've never hired someone before, 
and I'm bringing someone to my team. Let's say I'm a founder and I'm hiring my first team member. Let's say I'm a manager and I'm hiring my first team member that I didn't inherit when I became a manager. The concept of where do I even go to look for the right people can be quite daunting. And if you go to the wrong spot, you're not going to find the right candidates. You'll end up hiring suboptimally. You're definitely more of an expert in this than I am because your job, one of the pieces of it is sourcing talent. What are good sources of talent to consider when bringing on that first role as a manager? I am a big fan of compound networking. I think there's a huge ripple effect that can be had if you treat recruiting as an active sport as a, as opposed to taking a passive approach. There's often the passive the, approach. I post a role and let the applications come in. Right, exactly. You post a role and applications come in. You not only create a, a time restraint on yourself as a, as a founder, you have to filter through applications. Traditionally, the, the rates to hire somebody from an application funnel versus something like a referral or even a direct source where you're reaching out to people directly through uh, a, a hiring platform are much lower. So you set yourself up to have less time to assess candidates, more time spent on recruiting versus any other sort of high-level strategy that you would want to be tackling as a founder. And the quality of candidates and interviews and process that happens throughout that just constricts a little bit. Referrals I've seen work particularly well. I think if you're in the seat of, I'm a solo founder hiring my second employee ever, then venture capital. If you have funding and you're going through portfolio companies, I think that's often a good way to have that compounding effect where you reach out to somebody, you get a call, you get a warm introduction. I'm a big fan of asking people for warm referrals at the end of a call. And just using that as a way to continually keep the conversation moving. And also now I am getting a referral to somebody who understands that problem space even more and can help me narrow in on what exactly a good hire would look like. In the current market, I think it's really tough to sift through hundreds of applications. And we often see upwards of a thousand applications for a senior PM role. Really That's increasingly too. common, I feel like, these days. is just a lot of applicants. It makes it really difficult, I think, to sift through. So that's where you get either a recruiting resource you can turn on and off to handle the top of funnel. That just makes your job easier in terms of sifting through candidates if you are going to go that route of posting a role. But often the internal networking, leveraging pre-existing networks and folks you've worked with in the past is usually a great way to tap into talent. And oftentimes the best folks are already employed. They find <laughs> folks who are actively looking and applying, but there is a large pool of candidates who remain untapped if you don't take the, the more active approach. Um, I have a few thoughts on referrals. The first broader point is, yes, I completely agree with the concept of referrals are a great way to bring talent in the door that you would otherwise not find. It is a not perfectly overlapping pool, the people who are going out and applying to jobs and the people who are eligible for jobs. Referrals are a great way to tap into that second bucket more directly. Two additional thoughts though. One is referrals to me are a good initial vet to say, you know what, I think this person has at least the right set of skills. 
or the right experiences. But in no way should that mean that there's any less thorough of a hiring process. And I think this is a mistake sometimes managers make is, well, I was told this person's really good by someone I trust. That does not make them a good fit for your company. One, that other person does not have a perfect understanding of your company or what you're looking for. And two, that person has their own biases. To me, a referral needs to go through the exact same very thorough hiring process. It's just a way to get more talent in the door that at least meets that first pass criteria that you would have otherwise had to have looked for on a resume or a Gabriel's intro call. That's one thought. The other thought is specifically related to sourcing talent from your VC investors. Just because your investors send you someone to hire for a role does not mean you should just hire them. I find pretty consistently that investors have the same blind spots than any other person who's sending a referral does. They might have access to a large talent network, but they may not exactly understand all the nuances of what you're looking for in an individual role or, or talent and will therefore send you people who are not always great fits. And so do not let a referral, whether it comes from your general network or specifically investors, don't let that cloud your judgment and make you cut corners on your interview process or say, this was a red flag, but they were referred. Yes, I completely agree. I think that is one big, big mistake you often see, or even there's something I've seen a lot of is we have five great candidates in final rounds and a referral comes in. Let's accelerate process to make sure this referral gets to the end. And then you have five great candidates that you're excited about whose process becomes slower. Their candidate experience starts to lack. They are not getting feedback in a meaningful, timely way. And then in the end, if you end up going with a referral, usually there are steps that are bypassed that seem unnecessary, or even if it's a cross-functional talk with a leader who's not directly on the team, but has a really good data point on culture, perhaps. That is something that happens a lot. So I completely agree. I think there has to be the same level of assessment with a referral or without using it as a way to get additional candidates that you otherwise wouldn't have interacted with is a great way to do it. But it absolutely does not disregard the process. It doesn't give anybody a specific leg up. It's just another way to get people into the funnel. Very much um, a top of funnel strategy and not a funnel bypass strategy, if you will. The concept of referrals, being able to skip the line or bypass certain steps is really an indicator of two of the things we talked about earlier, which is one, small companies, first time managers just overwhelmingly lack a thorough interview process nine times out of 10 or maybe 99 times out of 100 the companies that I mm -hmm. join that are in their seed stage who are starting to hire lack any sort of coherent talent acquisition system or standard set of interview questions or standard list of steps that the candidate goes through. And that inevitably results in bad hires being made. And when you have these referrals skipping the line or skipping steps, it's just an indicator of either one, you don't have a thorough enough 
interview process, or two, you are not managing it at speed, which is a really bad candidate experience. Yep. I think the balance there is incredibly important. You also have to recognize that it's tough to create a good hiring experience for internal hiring teams and candidates going through process. We hear a lot about the negatives of hiring process and being ghosted by recruiters or companies who don't allow feedback. What are your thoughts on that, by the way? I I think I have mixed feelings around companies who have policies of not offering feedback to candidates. Where, Where do you land on that? I'm a huge advocate for transparency. Companies we partner with, we want there to be honest two-way communication where we are able to give honesty on how the process is going and also want to receive the same from the hiring team. And I think we want to translate that to candidates as well. I like giving candidates something to take and evolve with. There's always an opportunity to provide feedback at some point in the process. Usually it wasn't one word or one conversation that led to a no decision to hire somebody. It was usually a series of things that came up where a hiring team says, okay, cohesively looking at all of the feedback from the team and looking at other candidates we have in the process, we do not feel like we want to move forward with this person for XYZ reason good recruiting stakeholders can draw from that and also press on the hiring team to give something concrete that we can give to a candidate. It's always hard on the candidate experience if people spend hours and hours of time, especially with take-homes and product case studies where folks will spend five to 10 hours and they're interviewing across 10 different companies. That's a full-time job and a huge amount of dedication. So I think recognizing that is important from hiring teams and also giving candidates an opportunity to know where the disconnect was and know if it was on something that they can actually up-level and use and their other hiring process to get towards a better outcome versus you as a candidate are in the dark. We refuse to give any feedback that often leaves folks with a sour taste in their mouths going through process and not getting any feedback in return. One of the things that I think companies sometimes don't keep in mind is every single candidate you interact with, or in this case, don't interact with, is a representative to the outside world of the company. It's not like I have a bad interview experience and then no one ever hears about it. I've had this in many instances where someone I've been about to interview with a company or I hear about a company that seems interesting for X, Y, or Z reason, or someone asks me about a company and I'll know about someone who interviewed with them and they'll have either had a really good experience or really bad experience. And that could be a deterrent or an attractor to another candidate. So remember that this is oftentimes people's only interaction with your brand is through your hiring process. And if it's it's a bad experience, that doesn't just go nowhere. That can reverberate to other people and ultimately lose you candidates. To me, I I don't really feel like it's that hard to keep candidates in the loop, it's definitely the lowest priority for a lot of hiring managers. But remember that like the 30 seconds it takes you to write that template email and then later another 10 seconds to fill in the person's name is nothing compared to the positive experience that that will create for that candidate. And that will pay off over time. Agreed. If anyone spent more than a few hours interacting with the team, I want to make sure that 
someone from product hiring house, ideally their recruiter is calling them and giving them feedback on what happened, just thanking them for their time. Job searching is really hard. And if people have a job and they're interviewing at your company on top of that, they're working late hours, they're sacrificing family or social time to prepare and get things ready for interviews. Just humanizing that approach is really important. Yeah, I agree. It's really not that hard to put a little bit of good energy on the world and make a candidate feel at least a little bit cared about. They're typically investing a lot of time with your company. And if you as a manager or as a founder don't feel you can dedicate the time to that, delegate it. To a company like Product Hiring House or someone else in the organization, just have someone sit on top of your interview process and manage candidate experience because it's so important. And I think it just so often gets dropped to the bottom of the priority list. Okay. I have a reverse version of this original question I asked you. We went down a bit of a rabbit hole. We went back to the original question around sourcing talent. So we talked about referrals as a potentially very good top of funnel source. Are there any top of funnel sources that you have consistently found are bad sources of talent? I think any of the big mishires I can think back to, it was bringing in a firm or person who tackled everything, but did not really help us specialize and advance in one area. I think when you start to hire engineering firms to do product roles, you often get misalignment, misunderstanding on what the priorities are and how to actually go out and find talent. That makes sense. And certainly there are versions of generalists, depending on the size of the company that just are too generalist and can't provide the level of specialty expertise in a specific area that's needed to hire a certain role. So that makes sense. I have a kind of a hot take on this one. I think a bad source of talent that I have, in my experience, seen not work too well is the founder themselves. If the owner of a company or the founder is doing most of the sourcing of talent themselves and bringing in people without much of an interview process or without listening to that interview process, if you're hearing a lot from your founder, oh, we're bringing in this head of marketing tomorrow and no one in the company has talked to this person yet. You see that happening with any regularity. That's a, That to me is a huge red flag. Generally speaking, what it recurs is the hiring of quote unquote sycophants or yes people. When you're mm-hmm. surrounding yourself with people that you personally like as a founder, it is incredibly unlikely that you're surrounding yourself with a really high functioning team. And it is very likely that you are hiring people having not seen past many of your own blind spots. Yep. I absolutely agree. There was a phrase 10 years ago in recruiting was, I want to hire somebody who I can have a beer with. Can I go out and get along with this person to be social? And I think that's a really, really tough way to approach hiring. You're bypassing so many major components of what somebody is actually going to do in your organization and all tying it to your own personal biases and opinions on how you can interact with somebody directly. As a founder, you're often going to up-level and not interact directly. Once you're at scale, you have your C-suite team, but do you really need to be able to go out with the senior PM on the team all the time or else they're not a good fit for your organization? So I think there's a big distinction there, and that's a great call-out. There's three categories here. One is on the other extreme, which is I really cannot stand this person. 
Probably not right. a good fit, right? If that's consistently happening, I have a lot of questions about that hiring manager. Generally, I, I would hope that people in a company can generally get along with other people. And you're consistently saying, I really did not like this person. And it's not pointing to anything around their skill set, but rather around your interaction with them. Maybe that's another cause for concern. But I certainly wouldn't want to be hiring people that I actively disliked. That will just cause all kinds of problems for culture. The other right. end of the extreme is, I love this person and want to hang out with them. That's certainly okay, but not the exclusive filter through which everyone should pass. Because yes, a company is not going out with your drinking buddies. A company is getting work done. I think there's somewhere in the middle here that is generally like a good threshold in my opinion, which is, can I get along with this person? You need to be able to get along with them if you're hiring them. And then also, do they fit all the criteria for the role? And if you can get along with them, I think that's like the threshold. Whether you can go out and get drunk with them is not relevant and quickly becomes a path that you should not be going down as a company. Creating the balance is really important. That's a tricky point of when do we bring in a recruiting resource who can bring an approach that's unbiased and assesses a lot of those things. When you have somebody who's advocating for candidates, advocating for the hiring team in the company, knows the culture knows the values, but also knows what outcomes we're, we're all working towards together. You create a much more holistic experience for hiring teams and candidates. You pull away from the biases that can be predetermined if you just have a solo founder making all of the hiring decisions. And you're taking in opinions from other parts of the org while also making sure you're thinking about future hires. You want to think about future growth as you're hiring today. That's one of the trickier pieces is like 12 months from now, we will probably be building this product or we're going to be raising capital. How does this hire fit into that equation? And how are we making sure we set them up to actually excel in that future environment and in the environment we're bringing them into today? A couple thoughts on that. One, sometimes you see companies be a little too forward-looking. They're a company of ten, five or 10 people today and they're like, we need that chief revenue officer who can run a team of 200 and they bring in someone right. who's super experienced, very senior, and who simply cannot get into the weeds because they just haven't done that in so many years in their career. And it's not something they're interested in doing. They like the concept of building something from scratch, but they don't like the actual day-to-day -day of what that means. I see a lot of companies bringing in the quote-unquote gray-haired veterans who end up being really bad fits because they can't do the nitty-gritty work that's required at that level of startup. It's definitely possible to think too far ahead. I also think as a corollary to that, it's okay to hire someone knowing that they have a ceiling. It's very unlikely that every single member of your company is going to grow at pace with your company. The likelihood that a company and a person grow at the exact same rate is almost zero. Sometimes you'll have people that are growing faster than the company, then you promote them. And sometimes you'll have the company growing faster than people. Then you have to, what's called level them, bring in someone mm -hmm. who's more senior to run that team. And sometimes that difference in growth will mean that that person is simply no longer a good fit for the company. And that's okay. That's not a failure. That's just part of how a company grows and changes over time. Not every person is a fit for every company at every stage. And if the company's growing really fast, Someone you hire today, it's okay for them to have an expiration date on their fit for the company. In no way was that necessarily a failure. It's just mm -hmm. a fact of hiring. And so it's okay to bring someone in knowing that in two years, 
if the company's done really well, they may not be the right fit anymore. So long as they're the right fit, now it can get you to that point. Some companies don't want to go through that hypergrowth. They want to build a great po- product. They want to stick to a lean team. That's completely fine. You're then optimizing for someone who really likes to be nitty gritty. They love the idea of being hands-on. They want to grow. They maybe want to manage, but they don't have any desire to work at Google. That's completely fine. Two years in the startup world is an eternity. It flies, but you also have so many phases of growth and challenges that happen between that timing where you often are working people in and out of the organization. I think it's about the high integrity wins and the costs of doing good recruiting that either get you there really strategically and help you flow through what the process looks like of onboarding people or offboarding people, that whole experience for employees. And then when you're hiring, you have a lot of blockers that can happen. How are we streamlining this? How are we setting ourselves up for success? Some people don't want to work at a 250 person company and be part of a 10 person product team. They might want to go be a founding product person somewhere else or founding engineer somewhere else. That's 100% fine. It's more of How are we playing to people's strengths? And also recognizing that we often ask in early stage calls what people's career trajectory ideally looks like. And we're taking knowledge of the companies we're working with, knowledge of the founding teams, knowledge of the candidates, and really working to piece those together so that if in the best case scenario, this person is happy at this company for a long time, if things go well, that is ideal. If things do not go well, They're still happy in the current environment and they're willing to dive in. They resonate with the mission. They like the team. It's helping them advance their career and they're okay sticking it out if it takes longer to get to X North Star than if things don't work, things don't work. But at least they've been set up and those pieces of the recruiting process have been thought about. We're well over time on our initial topics because we've just dived deeper into them, which is a very good problem to have. But this is a nice little segue, I think, to one of our later topics, which is around cultural fit. You have this experience and I certainly have this experience as well. Every company is different. I was a good fit for the companies I worked for, but there are many other companies who, for whatever reason, I wouldn't be a good fit for. What's your personal approach to assessing how a candidate culture-wise is a fit for any particular company you're working with. Yeah, assessing for the cultural piece, there's a lot of opportunity for bias to come into the process. You don't want people who are exactly the same, but you don't want people who are drastically different either that are going to butt heads. A very fine line to finding out how people collaborate and then also bringing in a new person to make sure that it actually up-levels the, the collaboration that's happening versus draws down or drains energy from the team. We would assess for zone of genius. In my previous company, we had an interview with our people leader and she assessed for 30 minutes on people's zone of genius. So she would figure out what really energized somebody day to day, what keeps them going, what do they get excited about, what sort of problems keep them up at night, what are they excited about doing in their career, And what do they want to commit to their careers? That was an extremely helpful interview. We got so many great data points on what actually drives a person. And then from the hiring team side, we could make a really sound decision on, okay, this person 
wants to do this, we don't know if we can be a good place for them to do that. Or this is a great match for where we want to go. We actually do want someone who's going to hone in on these areas or bring us to this point. This makes us even more excited about somebody. People said so much time at work and with the folks that they work with. So I think making sure that you're addressing things outside of just have they been a product manager for seven years? Have they led a team of five? Do they work in B2B? I think those are good to create a match, but beyond that, you're really working to create a, a higher quality match for folks that accelerates them in, yeah. in every single way. A lot of those things you just said around, do they have this amount of experience? Those are check the box on a resume, but are like you said, not what defines a good fit. I think one way to think about it for a company or for a hiring manager is you don't want all the exact same people. You don't want everyone to just arrive at the same answer or just agree with each other all the time. That's not good. That's not necessarily cultural fit. That's just bad hiring. You're all going to suffer from the same blind spots. You need people to disagree with each other. To me, what makes you cultural fit is, is everyone aligned with the process by which things are done? But it's not, would everyone make the same decision? But is everyone on board with the way that the decision is made? Is everyone on board with being a relatively meeting-heavy company where we are pretty deliberate about decisions we make and we dive deep into those decisions versus are, are we a company that really prefers to move fast and break things and be less meeting-heavy and more autonomous? If everyone can mm -hmm. agree on the process by which things get done, then I think that to me is much more cultural fit than whether we all agree on what needs to get done per se or whatever a decision is. It's almost better if you all don't agree, which just how you get there. Some of it is also value-based, which is there are, right. to, to me, I think that companies can be very employee-oriented. They can be very customer-oriented, or they can be very stakeholder or shareholder-oriented. And every company is some amount of each of those things. And some people want to work at a company that is incredibly mission-driven, which tends to be a company that's very customer-oriented. Some people want to work right. at a company that's really profitable, if, for lack of a better word, structurally, financially viable. And that, to me, is a little more shareholder-oriented. Some people want to work at a company where they feel really cared about themselves. That's an employee-oriented company. And you don't want to hire a super customer-oriented person to a employee-oriented company because sometimes there will be decisions made. For instance, we are not going to have anyone available to answer customer phone calls between Christmas and New Year's. That is a very employee-oriented decision and something that probably doesn't work great for a lot of customers, right? If you are customer-oriented as a person, you really want to be at a mission-driven company, you're probably not going to be super happy with that decision. And that's just one specific microcosm of a much broader company philosophy. But I think it's important to filter for that and just make sure that someone is on board with the framework by which decisions are made and, and with the value framework that a company has. The earlier you get, the more those frameworks have to be built as well. That's where the first few hires are so critical. And well, they really, really define that. a company's culture more than anything. And yep. Whether it's intentional or not, the way that those first five to 10 people work together, the way that they do their work really defines everything about a company's culture for a long time to come without very purposeful changes being made. Absolutely. I have one last question. It is an age-old question. 
I have some thoughts on this, but I'm curious to hear from your perspective, being an expert at hiring. Experience versus potential. Where do you land in this debate? I think it really depends on what you are hiring for. For example, experience can mean a variety of things. Does somebody have experience within a specific industry like healthcare? And we are a health tech company looking to advance treatments in a specific niche area. Does somebody need HIPAA compliance? There's that level of experience. Or it's a, do they have experience in this specific type of role we are looking for? Or do they have experience building teams? If we are bringing in a head of product and we're 100 people, we should probably bring somebody in who has experience building process, managing people, building teams so they can hit the ground running and really set the team up for success. Within those frameworks, experience makes sense. There is a component of early stage teams where I think assessing for potential should always be present in in the process. You want people to live up to their full potential, quote unquote, is an important indicator of one, is somebody going to really push the organization forward? Are they going to be happy with where they are pushing themselves? So there's a, is our company going to accelerate someone's opportunity to push their potential? But do they also have experience doing what we need them to do so that they're set up for success day one? I always stay pretty agile when it comes to hiring decisions. I think every team is going to look at and assess things completely different. There are some times where the person who ends up getting hired is hired maybe for a level up than we originally planned in the role because we see a lot of potential and they're right on the threshold. I'm, cu- I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. It's, a t- it's an interesting question. I think it's fair to say that it varies by role and by company which is one of your earlier points. Totally. There are some roles that require certain experiences. And I've talked about this quite a bit because I feel very strongly about it, that if I'm being hired to a company where I need to run a fulfillment warehouse, like a distribution center, if I come in having Hmm. never done anything of that sort before, never having worked before in a fulfillment center, I'm probably going to suck at it. It's not just, oh, I could ramp up quickly and learn the basics. There are some legal requirements. There are just some key pieces of operational know-how that I would have no clue how to do. It would be the equivalent, but slightly more legal, of hiring me to be your general counsel. Obviously, I don't have a law degree, so you couldn't do that. But let's say you could. I would have no idea what I was doing, and I couldn't quickly ramp up to it just because there's so much subject matter expertise required. There are other roles that are much more generalist in nature where... It is okay to just figure things out on the way. One of those is early stage HR. So a company of 10 people bringing on their first HR person could bring in someone who's not necessarily zero experience in HR, but is relatively minimally experienced in it, but is really good at figuring things out because ultimately you don't need some really well-defined benefits plan today. You just need some benefits plan today and Mm -hmm. you need Mm -hmm. someone who's going to go figure that out. And the downside of doing it not perfectly is relatively low. It's a low stakes game. In that situation, you could just bring in someone who's a good learner. So I guess I agree with you that it's not experience versus potential, it's experience and potential. What I'd say is always potential. To me, 
one of the keys of any good hire is the rigidity of their thought process. You have some people with a lot of experience who just say, this is the way things need to be done and are not critical thinkers about how is this scenario different? How is this problem different than the other ones I've experienced? They implement something that just doesn't perfectly work. They just implement it simply because they've done it before. You mm. cannot have experience without potential. That is generally going to be a bad hire. You can have potential without experience. That could be a good hire. And I therefore think that potential is a must-have, and then the experience is really more role-dependent. Yep, I would agree with that. And to your point about HR teams, too, within the frame of hiring product talent, it's very much, does this person have experience doing product? We likely won't bring an an engineering person and say, hey, could you also do product? Because you're an amazing engineer and you're customer-focused. Could you go do some user feedback sessions? Like That might not be the right potential to put them in, but I agree. In startups generally too, there's always a balance of potential that people could get towards and then do they have the experience doing the core of what they are brought in to do? And there are some roles like the HR one is a good one. I brought in sourcers to a team who have minimal experience, but I can teach them how to source or teach them how to run payroll for an HR department or teach them how to set up an an applicant tracking system. Those are things that can be taught. Couldn't agree more. Well, that's a great note to end on. We've gone very deep into certain topics. Thanks, Dane, so much for joining me today. I I thought this is a really insightful conversation around hiring and hopefully can bring some useful tidbits to folks who are hiring for the first time or founders who are trying to bring on talent to their team in a thoughtful way. So Appreciate you taking the time and coming on Manager on All One. Yeah, this was great, Max. Thank you. Thank you all for listening and have a good rest of your week. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Management 101. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to subscribe and leave a comment or a review. That helps others find the show and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thanks for tuning in to Management 101 and we'll catch you in the next episode.